Thank you for joining us on the Hope Church LV podcast. We're excited you came across this message. The sermon you are about to listen to is from our verse-by-verse study through the Gospel of Mark. If you're joining us for the first time, I want to be the first to say, welcome to Hope Church. Go ahead and open up the Hope Church LV app or visit hopechurchlv.com and click connect with us to fill out a short digital connection card. If you haven't done so already, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast to help spread hope to the world. Once again, thanks for joining us today. Well, good morning, Hope Church. It is so good to see all of you. Can we just one more time give it up for Hope Creative for how they lead us every single week? Um, With your permission, uh, I know it's my first time preaching on a Sunday here at Hope, but with your permission, uh, I want us not to play church this morning, okay? I, I feel a hunger and expectancy uh, for the Lord in this room right now, and in, with your permission, I just want to go for it, all, all right? Are we okay with that this morning? All right. If you got your Bibles, I want, to open, I want you to open them to Mark chapter 2. We're going to read verses 13 through 17. As you're doing that, just going to give you a quick update about me uh, and my life and what I've been doing the last two weeks. Me, as well as about 14 others of us who are involved in the student ministry here at Hope, just returned on a cross-cultural mission trip from the country of Botswana. And I just want to tell you a couple things. Man, God flat out moved on that trip. I mean, we got to see things, thank you. We got to see things and experience things that God did that I'm gonna be living in for a really, really long time. And I tell you that just for two reasons. Here's the first reason. The first reason is because I wanna remind you what our founding pastor, Pastor Vance Pittman, has taught us since the very beginning of this church, and it's simply this, that when God planted Hope Church, he did it with the nations on his heart. Like when, when God started this church, it was always going to be about something bigger than this church, bigger than this city, bigger than even our country. And I just want to encourage you today, friends, as we get started, God is alive and active around the world. And if you knew all that he was doing, it would literally blow your minds. And so we here at Hope, we get to be participants in that and join in God's activity around the world. Man, it is a humbling privilege. But the second reason I tell you that is because we arrived back in the States on Tuesday. And it's a nine-hour time difference. So if I say something today that might be just a little, little off, please blame it on the jet lag, Okay. Please blame it on the jet lag, all right? But I'm ready to roll. I'm, I'm, like I said, I am not interested in playing church today. I'm ready to roll. So Mark chapter 2, I hope you've got your Bibles. As we jump into the text today, I want to set up our time by, by asking a simple, but I believe very significant question. Here's the question. When it comes to us as followers of Jesus, being followers of Jesus, what will be the primary obstacle that will stop us from receiving all that God has for us in this life? What's gonna be, when it comes to us just being followers of Jesus, living this life on this earth, what's gonna be the primary obstacle that stands in the way and stops us from receiving all that God wants to give us as his children? You see, rooted in this question is an assumption, and here's the assumption, that you and I, yes, can in fact miss out on some things. 
that you and I, when it comes to living this life as Jesus followers, when it comes to this daily walk with Jesus, we can miss out on some blessings and some gifts and some graces that God wants to give us as his children. There's an assumption that we can miss out. Now, do not hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that positionally in Jesus, when we became followers of Jesus and surrendered the control of our lives to Jesus, that positionally you and I are lacking in anything. Here's what I mean, that when we gave our life to Jesus because of everything that Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection, you and I as followers of Jesus have received everything in the heavenly places. I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter two that talks about how you and I are seated with Jesus in the heavenly places. So don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that positionally you and I are lacking in anything whatsoever. We've gotten it all from Jesus. However, how many of you know that practically there is a gap between what's true about us positionally and practically in this life? How many of you know that there are things in your life that you wish weren't in your life because they're sin and they cause you to stumble and fall forward? There is a gap between what's true about us positionally and what's true about us practically and so there's this assumption here that, yes, we can, in fact, miss out on some of what God wants to give us in this life. And I don't know about you, but for me, if that's true, I want to make sure I've identified what that primary obstacle will be so that that's not a reality for me. Anybody else this morning? Now, listen, as we jump in, as we jump in, let me just give you a reason why I think this is a really big deal and why we can't afford to miss out on receiving and enjoying all that God has for us. Let me give you this reason. Here's a, a burden on my heart that's a really significant one. When we miss out on all that God has for us, we can end up believing the lie that for followers of Jesus, life only gets good after we die. For me, this is my story. Like when I became a Christian at 16 years old, I just believed this lie that what I've got to do living in this broken, fallen world is I've just got to believe in Jesus and persevere. And if I just hold on long enough, eventually I'll get out of this horrible world and get to finally one day after I die, enjoy some streets of gold. <laughs> Anybody else? I just believed this lie, and I believe it's a lie from the enemy that convinces Christians that the life we live now, it's actually, there's, there's gonna be no joy, no fruit, no excitement, no passion, power, presence of God in our lives, and, but one day when we die, then it'll actually get really good. And I just wanna say to you, Hope Church family, that's a lie. It's a lie from the enemy that he's trying to convince you and get you to believe that what Jesus has for you isn't actually anything right now, it's only future. But I believe what we just sang about, that the same God of this Bible is the same God we worship and enjoy now. I believe Jesus when he said about himself that I have come that they may have life and life to the full. I believe he meant that. I believe David in Psalm chapter 16, verse 11, when he talked about that, when he was praying to God, he said this to the Lord. He said, Lord, you make known to me the path of life. Listen to how good this is, guys. In your presence, there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. I believe David meant that. Listen, if you can offer me something better than that verse, then do it, but you can't. 
That verse legitimately is the reason I'm a follower of Jesus because you can't offer me something that fullest joy possible and get to and I get to enjoy it for longer than forever. You can't offer me something better than that. And that's what we get in Jesus. And I believe because of the Holy Spirit in us, the very presence of God in us, we get to enjoy that and taste of that some now. So we can't, we can't, we can't afford to miss out on receiving all that God has for us. Because here's what happens when we do. What's at stake when we miss out is God being glorified and us enjoying him in that glorification. We can't afford it. And so I hope at this point you're going, okay, Trenton, then give me the primary obstacle. And thankfully, the the word of God helps us in this moment. So if you got your Bibles, Mark chapter 2, we're going to jump right in. In order to do this, we're going to read this story. We're going to cover three things from this story. Three things, three movements of the story. I'm going to put them up right here. We got a beautiful Edward Pause outline, right? So here's, here's the outline. A shady invitation. We're going to read this story from Jesus. And in this story, Jesus is going to invite somebody to follow him. And let's just be clear, it's kind of shady. But it's actually really good news for us. We'll get there. Uh, Spoiler alert. It's good news. All right, number two, a serious accusation. Some religious leaders are going to accuse Jesus of something. And Jesus then is going to respond finally with a simple explanation. And it's going to be a glorious explanation. (laughs) All right, so if you're ready, say I'm ready. All right, Mark chapter 2, here's the story. Jesus is continuing his ministry, and here's what we read. Mark chapter 2, verse 13. And he, this is Jesus, went out again beside the sea, and all the crowd was coming to him, and he was teaching them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. And the scribes of the Pharisees, when they saw that he was eating with sinners and tax collectors, said to his disciples, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. This is God's word. And in this story, we see a shady invitation. The story begins with Jesus teaching many, many people by the sea. And while he's doing it, he identifies this man named Levi, and he invites Levi to follow him. And and just as a quick review, if you remember Pastor Ricky's message a couple weeks ago, when we took a deep dive into what Jesus really means when he invites us to follow him, we understand that Jesus's invitation here, follow me, is the central invitation to everybody in the world who would choose to follow him. And it involves three things. Jesus's invitation involves us being with Jesus, to spend as much time with him as possible in an abiding relationship with him. Not only to be with him, but to be transformed by him, to be changed, to be transformed by his spirit as he works in our life. But then ultimately he transforms us into somebody who lives and loves like him. The goal is to become like Jesus. So the invitation is to be with Jesus, be transformed by Jesus so that we could become like Jesus. And this is the invitation to everybody who chooses to follow Jesus, but also here to Levi. But you might be asking, Trenton, you said this was shady. (laughs) 
Why in the world is this invitation shady? Well, here's why it's shady. It has nothing to do with Jesus's invitation. It has everything to do with who he invited. The invitation wasn't the big deal. It's who Jesus gave the invitation to. Levi here, we find out in verse 14, it says this about Levi, that Levi was sitting at the tax booth. You see that? Now, what does that tell us? It tells us about Levi that he was, in fact, a tax collector. Now, if you're familiar with the Bible at all, or maybe you're new to studying the Bible, here's what you need to know about these tax collectors. They were not very popular. (laughs) Tax collectors were not popular. They were not the most liked people in the world. And here's why. Two reasons. Number one, tax collectors were thieves. They were thieves. When tax season rolled around, they would charge people over and above the actual amount that they owed to the government, and tax collectors then would take the sum that they owed over and above, and then they would keep it for themselves. I don't know about you, but I've had to pay some taxes before, uh, and, and if somebody added some more money on top of what I already owed, I'd be upset. <laughs> this is who the tax collectors are. They're thieves. They get rich off of stealing other people's money. This is who he is, this is Levi, he's a thief. But not only is a thief, he's also a traitor. Here's why he's a traitor. He's a traitor because he's doing all of this under the banner of the Roman government. See, tax collectors in this day most likely were people, were Jewish people who had sold their soul to the Roman government and have changed sides, if you will, and now, are being used and working for the very government that is abusing and oppressing the Jewish people. So now, as a Jew, Levi here, he's now working for the enemy. So he's not only a thief, he's also a traitor. And this is the guy, this is the guy that Jesus says, hey, come follow me. This is who he is. And so when you put all of that together for tax collectors, literally, this means that tax collectors were the worst of the worst. I read one commentator this week that literally talked about, like, these these people, the tax collectors, were the dregs of human society. That's the words he used. And so the fact that Jesus invited this guy, this guy who was the most hated probably in the first century to be a part of his disciples, it's extremely shady. I can imagine some of Jesus's other disciples, maybe Peter, walking up to Jesus after this moment and being like, Jesus, what are you thinking? (laughs) Like, Jesus, I love the whole like casting out demons thing. Like, that's awesome. Jesus, I love the whole like healing people, praying for people. That's like, that's amazing. Like, thank you so much. I'm so on board, Jesus, with everything you've been doing. But can I rebuke you, Jesus? Can I give you as a human being my, my, my opinion about what you've just done? And I can just imagine Peter being like, Jesus, you can't let this guy in our crew. Jesus, you can't let, this guy's the worst of the worst. Don't you know how he's cheated me? Don't you know how he's cheated my family? He's stolen, he's gotten rich off of my money. Don't you know how he's ruined people's families? Jesus, he's the worst of the worst. Don't you know what he's done And I can imagine Jesus in this moment looking at Peter and saying, Peter, of course I know what he's done. Of course I know what he's done. 
And that's exactly why I'm inviting him to follow me. Because Peter, though he may be physically rich, he's spiritually bankrupt. And it's only in me where he can find the, the deepest solution to his greatest problem. That's why I'm inviting him into me. It's not because he's clean and perfect. It's because he's not clean and imperfect that I'm inviting him into me, into a relationship with me. So you might be sitting here thinking, okay, Trent, that's great, but what does this have to do with us? This invitation is shady because Levi was the least likely person most people would expect to be called by Jesus. But like, Trent, I live in Las Vegas. It's 2022. It's July 4th weekend, which, shout out, it's my wife's birthday tomorrow. Thank you, over here. Hi, babe. America's birthday and Griffin's. How awesome. But Trenton, what does this have to do with me? What does this have to do with me? Well, here's, here's what it has to do with you. I want to give us a spiritual reality statement that I think might punch us in the mouth a little bit, but it's, it's true. Here's the statement. Jesus loves the people we probably don't. See, what, what this is communicating to us about Jesus in the calling of Levi. Levi was the most hated person. Nobody loved, Je or nobody loved Levi, but Jesus did. Listen, let's do some self-examination for ourselves. Who's the person or group of people that you would not want to see walk through the doors of Hope Church this morning? We can't be real. Who's that person? Who's the group of people? Listen, though you might not love them, Jesus does. Jesus does. And this is where it's such good news that we find out the reality that Jesus is so different than us. Aren't you grateful this morning, Hope Church, that your God is not like you? Because listen, if he was like you, you wouldn't have a relationship with him. But thankfully, Jesus loves and calls the least likely. Amen? This is who our God is. But not only here does he call Levi, he goes and has a meal with tax collectors and sinners. Look what it says here in verse 15. And as he reclined at the table in his house, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many who followed him. I love how Mark is going out of his way as he retells this story to communicate that there's a lot of people in this house. There are many tax collectors and sinners. Now the question is, okay, we understand what tax collectors are, but what about this sinner? Well, sinners, this term here, isn't typically used, and it's not being used by Mark here in the way that we typically understand it to be used. We typically understand it to be used as like, we're sinners in need of a savior. We've got problems. We all fall short of the glory of God. Yes, and all that's true. But here in this context, Mark is communicating to us this term sinners as a social term. It's a social term used to describe a certain kind of people. See, this word was a social term used by first century religious teachers used to describe Jewish people who didn't give any attention to or adhere to the word of God, specifically the law of God. So these sinners were people who saw the words of God, saw what the, the synagogue was doing and teaching, and they said, hey, listen, that just ain't me. I know Jewish people are the chosen people of God, but I'm not interested in any of that. I don't want to be associated with that. I don't care about God. This is who the sinners are. And notice, this is who Jesus is eating with. 
You see, eating in the first century was one of the most intimate acts you could do with somebody. Welcoming somebody into your home, sharing a meal together, reclining at a table is, was one of the most intimate things you could do with anybody in the first century. And the fact that Jesus here, the Son of God in human flesh, is eating with people like tax collectors and sinners, this was crazy. Point of application, just very quickly, we see this is the model of Jesus and the example of Jesus throughout the scriptures. He's always eating with and hanging out with people that most people wouldn't think a religious leader should be. This is why Jesus got the, the name and the, the kind of the coined idea of he was a friend to tax collectors and sinners. So here's just a question for us this morning. Is your dinner table, does it look anything like Jesus is here? Does your dinner table at all throughout your year look anything like the table of Jesus here where you are welcoming outsiders and people who don't care about the Lord? Is your table look anything like Jesus is here? Because this was Jesus's method of extending the kingdom into the world. He was gonna eat and hang out with and enjoy God's common gifts of food together as a way of sharing the good news of Jesus with them. This is what Jesus does. So we just wanna tell you, we here at Hope Church, we value Sunday mornings significantly. Like what we do here is massively important, but you need to understand, friends, that we also value Monday through Saturday as just as important. See, we value what takes place around this stage, but we also value just as much what takes place around your dinner table. Who's over at your house? Who are you enjoying the good gifts of God with as a way and as a method of ultimately then using that food and using that dinner as a way of pointing people to the true king? See, the religious leaders were not a, were not a fan of this. What Jesus was doing here, they were not a fan of. They weren't a fan of what Jesus was doing at all. And so this leads us to our, our serious accusation. Here's the accusation that Jesus gets asked. We'll put it on the screen. The Pharisees here, the religious teachers of the day, they ask Jesus's disciples this question. Why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? See, and they ask this question not to, not to get an answer. They, they're really not interested in Jesus's simple explanation here. What they were interested in was finding a way to trap Jesus, to ruin his ministry, to make sure that what he was doing, he would not be able to continue to do. And because this was such a crazy idea, crazy reality, that a religious teacher was eating with these kind of people, they ask this question. And let me just say this, that this question, why does he eat with tax collectors and sinners? Listen, it has to be the most arrogant question ever asked. It has to be the most arrogant question ever asked. Listen, because the only way that you can ask that question, why does he eat with sinners, is if you've concluded that you're not one. This is the heart posture of the Pharisees. Why are you eating with people like that, Jesus? And it's arrogant because in their asking of the question, they're assuming that they're not a sinner. And friends, this is where we, 
the rubber meets the road, where we find the answer to the question of the message. Let me put it back on the screen. What's the number one obstacle that will stand in the way of us receiving all that God has for us in this life? Because if you see the story, if you read the story, you see that the the Pharisees, they miss out. They miss out on encountering the presence of Jesus in a life-changing kind of way. They miss out on the grace that Jesus is gonna give here. They miss out on life change. And here we see the answer to this question represented to us by the Pharisees. What's the number one obstacle that's gonna stand in the way? Here it is. Self-righteousness. Self-righteousness. This belief that in and of ourselves, we don't need God. This belief that in and of ourselves, we are morally better than everybody else and we don't need transformation. This is at the heart of what it means to be a self-righteous person. it's, It's a heart posture that says, I don't need you, God. I'm good in and of myself. See, this is my story. My story before coming to know Jesus is one full of self-righteousness. See, I grew up in a pastor's home. I grew up in a, in a, in a church, a great church. I, I tell students all the time, uh, it's kind of whatever. Uh, it, basically, my mom basically gave birth to me on the altar of the church. Like, it's just like, this was my life. Growing up in church, I was a very moral person. I was a very moral person. You know, like most pastor's kids, you're kind of like, hey, uh, little Johnny, don't hang out with pastor's kid. He'll get you in trouble. He does bad things. He's, he's arrogant. He thinks he runs the world. You don't need to hang out with, with little, little, little Bobby over here. I don't know who Bobby and little Johnny are. If that's your kid's name, I, I apologize. But for me, for me, that was not my story. I wasn't the typical pastor's kid. In fact, I was the pastor's kid who most parents said, hey, listen, little, little Johnny, you see Trenton over there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Listen, can you go hang out with him? Because he doesn't do anything bad. Listen, little Johnny, I know he's not fun, but you won't get in trouble. <laughs> this is my, I mean, this was my life. I was the, the cleaned up, put together pastor's kid. So When it came to church services, what I'm doing is I'm sitting in church service and I'm hearing the pastor preach about coming to know Jesus and how we need to be saved because of our sin. And if I'm just being honest with you, I could understand why other people needed to be saved, but I didn't understand why I needed to be. And it wasn't until I was 16 years old where by the grace and mercy of God that the Spirit of God opened my eyes to this reality that just because I'm moral did not mean I was spiritually alive. That, that there's a massive difference between morality and good deeds and being in love with Jesus. And so by the grace of God, mercy of God, I recognized my sin and simultaneously recognized the beauty of my Savior and what Jesus uh, was for me in his life, death, and resurrection. And so I surrendered the control of my life to Jesus as a 16-year-old. But I'd be lying to you, friends, if I said to you that my days with struggling with self-righteousness were over. See, even as a Christian, self-righteousness still plays a role in my life. And I hate it. I hate it because it's the thing in my life that's gonna cause me to miss out on receiving and enjoying all that God has for me. 
When I think about how self-righteousness plays itself out in my life, I'm gonna be honest, my story's a little different than the Pharisees. See, the Pharisees, their self-righteousness played itself out in that they didn't wanna be associated with people who didn't believe like them. But here's how mine plays myself plays itself out in my life. Mine plays itself out in my life where it's not that I don't wanna be around people who don't believe like me, it's that I sometimes don't wanna be around people who do believe like me. I think you missed it. <laughs> Like new small group season comes around, Pastor Patrick's like, everybody get in a connection group. And I'm like, there's some people I don't wanna be in a connection group with, Pastor Patrick. Am I the only one? Listen, y'all are looking at me going, yeah, I don't wanna be in a small group with you anymore, you self-righteous little boy. <laughs> so... Listen, and that's not the only way it plays itself out in my life. I can sit in a sermon, sit in a sermon, and I can hear teaching, but I can think to myself, yeah, I know who that's for. Listen, I hear teaching, but I don't get taught. Or I, I go, I have a God time in the morning where I open up my Bible and I go to pray and I, I read the word, but the, read doesn't, the word doesn't read me. See, friends, self-righteousness this idea, this heart posture that God in and of myself, I'm good, I don't need you. It will be the thing that stops you from receiving everything that God desires to give you in this life. See, we see the problem with the Pharisees is that their failure to recognize their own sin led to a lack of love for the people of the world. See, they saw the tax collectors and sinners as beneath them, as people who had problems that they didn't have and they didn't want to be associated with them. This is what their self-righteousness did. And so they asked the question, why does Jesus eat with tax collectors and sinners? But then here's where we get to finish, friends. This is where we get to hear Jesus's simple explanation for why he eats with them. Look what he says here in Mark chapter two, verse 17. And when Jesus heard it, he said to them, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Hope Church, isn't that good news for us? That's good news. Listen, we could say a lot of things here, but let me just pull out two quick things from Jesus' simple explanation. Number one, Jesus is teaching us that sinners need a physician. Sinners need a physician. He uses very simple logic here. Those who are well have no need for a doctor. Thank you, Lord. <laughs> Thank you. But those who are sick, of course, they do. They need, a, they need a doctor. But the question for us, friends, here in Las Vegas is, who's sick? Who's actually the sick ones? And in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 12, we find the answer to the question of who's sick. And here's what the Bible says. None is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one done, does good, not even one. So the Bible's resounding answer to the question of who's sick is this. Everyone. Everybody's sick. Every single one of us, no matter your background, every single one of us, no matter your history, no matter how moral or immoral it is, all of us are sick and in need of a physician. 
Jesus is teaching us here. This is key. This is key. This is key. Jesus is teaching us here that the number one thing that sinners need isn't teaching. Listen, it's healing. It's healing. He's teaching that what's wrong with the condition of a soul of a sinner is not simply that it's made some bad choices over its lifetime. It's that the soul of a sinner is sick with a disease called sin. And this disease, it destroys us from the inside out. It eats us away like a cancer that remains undetected. And if it remains undetected long enough, Hope Church, hear me clearly, it will certainly lead us to death. And the problem with cancer and the problem with sin is that in and of ourselves, we can't do anything to cure ourselves of the disease. There's nothing in us that can cure our greatest problem. So what do we do? What do we do when we've recognized we've got a problem? What do we do when we've recognized we're sick? What do we do when we recognize we've got an addiction that we've not been able to beat for years? What do we do when we recognize that we've got this prideful, self-righteous heart? What do we realize? What do we do when we realize we're sick? Hope Church, hear me. This is what we do. We go to the doctor. We go to the doctor. And this is the second thing that Jesus is teaching us. Not only that sinners need a physician, but listen, Jesus is the great physician. This is the good news, that Jesus is the healer of our soul. And friends, this is the key to understanding what we need to embody when it comes to opening ourselves up to be able to receive all that God has for us. This is where we find it. If self-righteousness is the primary obstacle, the primary necessity for us, self-righteousness is one, the primary necessity for us is desperation. It's humility, it's neediness, it's acknowledging just how much we need a physician. And then once we acknowledge it, we go to Jesus. And Jesus tells us that he has come to heal those of us who are in need. Our job is to acknowledge our neediness and then go to Jesus and he does the rest. So if you don't remember anything else from this message, remember this, Hope Church, go to Jesus. Go to Jesus. No matter who you are, no matter what your story is, no matter where you're at in a relationship with Jesus, the call is the same, go to Jesus because only Jesus can heal the greatest problem in your life, the disease called sin. It reminded me just as I was prepping for this message about um, when I was a kid, my mom had to go in and have a surgery. It was supposed to be just a routine surgery that in and out in an hour, just it'd be good to go. But my mom, she goes in to have the surgery and what ends up happening is in the middle of the surgery, um, the doctor cuts something he's not supposed to cut. And as a result, my mom almost died on the hospital table. But thanks be to God, the, the team got together and, and saved my mom's life in that moment, but as a result of the botched surgery, for years to come, she would have to go to doctor after doctor after doctor after doctor. She ended up having to have a total of six more surgeries, six more surgeries to solve the problem 
that the first surgeon, the first doctor had caused with his botched surgery. Now, I, I thank God, I praise God that uh, I didn't lose my mom. My mom is alive and well and probably watching this message and feeling very awkward <laughs> while, while she's watching it. But as I thought about our condition as sinners, here's the thing that just struck me. In the same way that my mom went to a doctor and there was a, a failure there and then had to go to have another doctor do another surgery and another doctor do another surgery and another doctor do another surgery six total times. I thought about our condition and here's what I wanna say to us. A lot of us have recognized we've got a sin sick problem. We've got a problem. But a lot of us, what we end up doing once we've recognized we've got a problem, we go to all sorts of earthly doctors all sorts of earthly doctors to try to solve a problem and provide healing for a problem that only the great physician can provide us. And what I wanna say to you today, Hope Church, whatever your problem is, don't run to the earthly doctors who only treat the symptoms but don't treat the root. Go to the great physician because only he can provide you the healing that you actually want. Jesus is our great physician. He's always on call. You can always reach him. He always rightly diagnoses the problem. He doesn't go, let's treat the symptoms. He says, this is the root. This is the problem. Let's treat that. And then here's a really awesome reality. Jesus always performs the surgery correctly. <laughs> he never botches the surgery when you come to him. But here's the best news. Here's the best news. And here's the thing I just couldn't wait to tell you. Here's the best news. He rightly diagnoses the problem. He rightly performs the surgery, but here's the best part. But then he pays for the bill in full for us. He pays for the bill in full for us. And friends, this is the good news of the gospel, that Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection, he has paid the bill in full. He's done everything necessary in order to bring you into a relationship with him and have your soul healed by the mercy and power and presence of God. He's done everything necessary. This is the good news of the gospel. I love how one commentator says this, John MacArthur, he says this, the glory of the gospel is not that God gives salvation to the people who earn it or that he gives salvation to the people who, are, who achieve it or the people who are good enough or righteous enough or holy enough but he gives salvation to the ungodly and the ungodly and the unrighteous who believe in Christ and repent. This is the scandal of grace and it scandalizes every works righteousness system in existence. It is the difference between the true gospel and all other religions. He says it that way, let me say it this way. The good news of the gospel is not that Jesus waits for you and I to make ourselves healthy. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus has come to us first in order to make us healthy by his life, death, and resurrection. See, Jesus died the death that you and I deserve to die. And on the cross, he said, it is finished. He's paid the debt. And then to prove that the debt's been paid, the receipt, if you will, is that he got out of the grave and he is ruling and reigning today as the sovereign king of the universe. So how do we respond? Very simply, we come to Jesus. <laughs> we come to Jesus. Whoever you are, no matter what your past is, we come to Jesus. Let's pray as we respond. Lord Jesus, 
God, we thank you that you're the great physician. God, that you're a healing kind of God. So God, I pray for for our family here, for the people in this room and watching online. God, I pray in Jesus' name. God, would you demonstrate your healing power over us? God, would you save people? Would you transform people? God, would you root out of us self-righteousness that causes us to believe we don't need you? And God, would you infuse us with a, a greater awareness of just how much we need you and how you are the only one who can solve our greatest problems. As we respond now, invitation is very simple. We're gonna have some pastors up here. We'd love to pray for you, but here's the invitation. No matter who you are, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus, go to the doctor. We're, we're all sick, we've all got problems. And there's only one person who can heal us. So maybe you're in here today and you don't have a relationship with Jesus. I would, I would highly encourage you, I would plead with you. You don't have a relationship with Jesus. This is your opportunity, come to Jesus. He's done everything necessary in order for you to receive a relationship with him. So I wanna encourage you, if you need a relationship with Jesus, man, come. We'd love to, to have somebody sit down with you, open up a Bible and show you what it really means to be a follower of Jesus. Would you come to Jesus? But then Christians, the rest of us, man, what's, what's your sickness right now? Maybe it is physical, but I'm betting for a lot of us, I know for a lot of us, we've got spiritual sickness. You've got an addiction, you've got a prideful heart, a jealous heart, whatever it is, here's what I wanna say to you, the, the invitation's the same, come to Jesus. Acknowledge your neediness. Acknowledge that you've been trying to live this life on your own and beat this battle on your own and acknowledge you can't do it and hand it over to the great physician who, who can only provide your true healing. So we're gonna pray, we're gonna have pastors down here. Like I said, if you wanna pray, just come down here and lay, lay what's, what's on your heart down here. We would love for you to do that. I don't know how you need to respond, but I know we need to respond. This is not the time to leave. So Lord Jesus, we love you. God, we love you. God, thank you, Jesus, that you've come not to call the righteous, but the sick. God, thank you that your arms are open wide, that we can come to you. And so, Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would draw people to yourself right now. God, would you draw people to Jesus? God, I pray for somebody who needs to give their life to Jesus. Holy Spirit of God, would you point them to their Savior? Would they repent and believe the gospel? And then, God, for our church, God, would we... Would we pursue you with every fiber of our being? God, would, we, would you rip out of us self-righteousness and replace it with a dependency on you? Jesus, we love you. We pray that you are glorified and worshiped this morning. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name.